Welcome to episode 6 of Proustian Paths, the podcast that takes you on a gentle walk through the text of a classic work of French literature, Marcel Proust's In Search of Lost Time. I'm James Holden and I'm your tour guide for this literary journey. Along the way, I'll be offering you a view of all the novel's key moments, so that if you're a first-time reader you'll be able to see them from their best vantage points and experience their beauty. Or if you're already a dedicated Proustian, you'll get a different perspective on the people and places you already know. In this episode, we'll be continuing our slow walk through Swan in Love, also sometimes called A Love of Swans, the long section within In Search of Lost Time's first volume that's often treated as a novel in its own right and read separately. Our journey through this somewhat separate section of narrative will occupy us up until the end of episode 11 of the podcast. Today, we'll be taking in the early days of Swan and Odette's grand romance, his early meetings with her at the Verderan Salon, and his first two visits to her house. Specifically, we'll be covering the passage from page 218 of the English translation published by Penguin up to page 229. If you're reading along with the podcast, but are using another translation, don't worry, just read up until the moment when Swan arrives at Odette's house late, only to find that she had already left. On our walk through this section, we'll begin by adding to the literary map that we drew up last time, a map that includes the sites of Paris's fashionable social life. We'll add some new literary landmarks to this map to help orientate us, and then, as always, we'll take in the literary view. Before we head out on our journey, I'd ask that if you enjoy this podcast, please do consider subscribing to the channel wherever you get your podcasts, and also following it over on social media. Also, and this is very exciting news for me, you can now support me in my creation of the podcast by donating me £3, the cost of a cup of tea and a madeleine cake, over on coffee.com. Any support is, needless to say, entirely optional and hugely appreciated, and will help to encourage me to continue working on content for the channel. If you do want to support me in this way, just visit ko-fi.com forward slash Paths and follow the links. You can also find this link on my link tree in my social media bios. So with that said, let's walk along the paths that led Charles Swan to the Verderan Salon, and from there to Odette's house. The Literary Map If we're to make our way through today's section of text without getting lost, we'll need to add to the map of Paris that we drew up last time. The locations we need to add are all connected to the places we've visited already. The link between them, the point of connection, is Swan himself, whose perambulations through the city, and whose social obligations and romantic assignations, form the shaping thread to this section of narrative. We begin back in the Verderan Salon, a space we have already seen, and whose furniture and guests we already know. To this gets connected nothing less than the Elysee Palace, which place Swan informs the little clan he will be visiting. Incidentally, for a quick summary of the clan and their place in the whole work, you'll be able to find my shortcut episode on them on the channel, but beware that episode does contain plot spoilers for the whole of the search. We also add to this Swan's own rooms, which we've seen briefly and which we now spend a little more time in. We're able to place a desk in his room and a photograph of a painting on that desk. Nearby, we can mark onto our map a certain street corner, where Swan meets a servant girl in his carriage and with whom he spends his evenings before finally going to the Verderan Salon after dinner, a journey that establishes a specific link between the two spots. Then there's the house of Odette de Cressy, which we are told is in an area behind the Arc de Triomphe. In his description of this area, 
The narrator, using Swan as the chief vocaliser, writes of, quote, The isolation and emptiness of the short streets, almost all of them lined with small contiguous private houses whose monotony would suddenly be interrupted by some sinister street stall, the historic sign and sordid remains of a time when the districts were still in bad repute. That's on page 222-223. Odette's house is a counterpoint to the earlier described street corner. Whereas Swan picks up the servant girl in his carriage from the one, he drops Odette back at the other. Then there's the Sistine Chapel, whose artwork, in Swan's vision, is materialised or embodied in the form of Odette, and a reproduction of which finds its way onto his work table. Finally, there's the restaurant, La Maison Dorée, from which Odette allegedly writes Swan a letter, one that he comes to cherish. This is a location that we'll return to as we walk our way through Swan in Love, so it's well to mark it on our maps now, and even more specifically, to remember the occasion of this letter. And with those places all sketched onto our maps, and the links between them noted, let's pay more attention to the literary landmarks here. Literary Landmarks This section reveals to us a small number of key locations, the most significant of which being Odette's house. However, the thing that we would do well to mark here, and to mark most clearly on our map as we make our way forward along the Proustian paths, are the connections and oppositions between them. Proust, in drawing his social and character distinctions, clearly sets up a number of binary oppositions and implied relationships. To start with, the Verderan Salon, with its group of faithful visitors, is contrasted to the Elysee Palace, to which only a select few are invited to dinner. Another faithful, if you will. The one location is an upper-middle-class salon with great pretension. The other stands at the head of government. The connection between them is Swan, who attends both, but who usually refrains from mentioning the one in the other. Then, the Verderan Salon, with its clutter of furniture, flowers and guests, is shown in contrast to Odette's house, which is filled to bursting with furniture in Chinese and Japanese styles, and also with the orchids she keeps. The relaxed, informal clothing worn in the one is again contrasted with the dresses that Odette wears to entertain Swan in the other. Odette's own home is, of course, distinguished from the Verderans by its location. It is also, as we noted a moment ago, put into a relation with Swan's own home and the street corner on which he picks up the servant girl before dinner. The movement of Swan's carriage creates a kind of circle between all of these points, which is worth marking carefully. In this way, the physical locations become social reference points and also the physical stations in the relationship between Swan and Odette. There are also a number of artistic reference points here. There's Van Toy's Sonata, which we heard for the first time in the last section of our journey. This time, the work is reduced to a kind of soundtrack played in the Verderan Salon when Swan and Odette are together. Now, not only is the Andante separated from the work as a whole, as it was before, but the little phrase itself is separated from the movement in which it appears, so it becomes a kind of musical fragment. Just as importantly, there's Botticelli's painting of Jethro's daughter, as depicted in the Sistine Chapel, the figure in whom Swan sees Odette. The relationship between the two women, the one corporeal, the other a representation, travels in both directions. 
The Literary Critical View Taken together with the scenes we saw last time, today's passage marks the first major social sequence in the search, the kind that will come to dominate much of the middle and latter stages of the text. The structuring of these scenes is often a little unusual, but we might immediately recognise it as a Proustian stylistic trope. Here we have repeated visits to the same location narrated together, their frequent repetitions and lack of variety allowing them to become one event in the narrative. The problem, of course, is how to differentiate between a specific instance and a generic, generalised anecdote, precisely the kind of problematic temporality that the critic Gérard Jeannette has discussed at length in relation to the search. This kind of grouping of events is something we'll particularly see in the latter stages of the novel, for instance, in the sequence of different days described in The Prisoner. We might describe the structure of the passage we're traversing today as follows. It begins with a discussion of Swan's social connections and the effect that their revelation has upon the little clan. We then get an account of Swan's visits to the Verderan Salon made as part of his early courtship of Odette. We learn of his habits, what he does before, during and after each of these occasions, all of which events are reduced down to a set of recurring instances. The passage then ends with an account of Swan's first two visits to Odette's house. Let's begin with Swan's social status in relation to the clan. Swan, contrary to his usual social delicacy and reluctance to talk of his connections, reveals during one soiree at the Verderans that he will be lunching at the Elysee Palace the following day, which revelation causes it to come out that he knows the President of the Republic. This fact has a profound effect upon the social order and presumptions of the little clan. We've seen how Madame Verderan is against those she terms bores, and also the aristocratic salons where, in any case, she would not be welcome, and whose attendees would never ever think to attend her own at-homes. In deference to this, partly out of natural modesty, and also as Proust makes clear, the complicated set of values he attaches to different aspects in his life, Swan attempts to remove the glamour of his luncheon date at the Elysee Palace. He claims that such lunches are in fact boring. Rather than seeing in this claim the social etiquette of a man of culture, Dr. Qatar instead takes it literally and dismisses the idea of lunching with the President. This is of a part with the time he was dismissive of the Verderans' box at the theatre after they were politely modest about the invitation they had extended to him. For Qatar, and also for Madame Verderan, the President is relegated in this instance to the ranks of the Boers. The description of Qatar having, quote, the incredulous look of a policeman on guard at the palace, and of being like a customs inspector, points us to the idea that he is, in effect, engaged in his own kind of social policing, a kind of reverse snobbery, and a protection against his own social insecurity. Swan has become a regular attendee at the Verderan Salon. However, we now at this point in our journey learn of his exact patterns of behaviour regarding the house and his courtship of Odette. We learn that he never attends the salon for dinner, preferring instead to arrive after the meal to spend the evening with the clan and specifically with Odette. There are a number of reasons for this. Firstly, he is, we learn, trying to defer the point at which Odette tires of him. 
Secondly, and more importantly, we learn that Swan is actually simultaneously engaged in another courtship, with a servant girl with whom he passes his time before attending the Verderans. This setup places the servant and Odette in a kind of relationship. Both are waiting for Swan, the former at the street corner, the second at the salon. And just as the former leaves Swan's carriage as he arrives, the latter leaves the Verderans' salon in the same carriage at the end of the evening. Upon his arrival in the salon, Swan sits next to Odette whilst the little phrase from the Vantois Sonata is played. This has now become, we are told, quote, the national anthem of their love. That's on page 221. This is to say that the phrase has taken on an emblematic and ceremonial function. It's a symbol of their courtship, but also a guardian of it. Swan's reactions to the phrase during this period are significant. Firstly, its reclassification as a soundtrack or anthem reduces it to the status of a musical fragment, cut off from the larger musical expression of which it was originally a part. Originally, Swan found in the phrase, quote, the possibility of a sort of rejuvenation. Now, later, and fragmentary, we are told that, quote, Swan thought he could now distinguish within it some disenchantment. It seemed to realise how futile was this happiness to which it was showing the way. The phrase itself opens up the possibility of a new awakening in Swan and the possibility of love, but also knows in advance, and hints to Swan of this, that that love itself and the happiness that is attendant upon it is futile. However, we are told that ultimately, for Swan at this time, the phrase becomes a kind of mnemonic device, a guardian of his memories. The music itself is the recollection of his love which it safeguards. The meaning of the phrase, and the sonata as a whole, will change again for Charles Swan and also the narrator, a shifting that is very much a part of the larger Proustian project. This is something we'll highlight as we continue on our journey along the Proustian paths. And so we come to the final section of the short passage we're traversing today. Swan's two visits to Odette's house, which take place in the afternoon and are therefore out of his normal sequence of courtship and are undertaken for the purpose of having tea. We are shown Odette's home, with its opulent Chinese and Japanese artefacts, including a lantern that is lit with gas. We know that, whereas evening wear is not necessary at the Verderan house, in her own home, Odette greets Swan in nothing more than a morning gown, with her neck and arms bare. There is a sensual opulence to the entire surroundings, from the alcoves to the heady scents of the flowers that fill the space, all of which stands in a relation to the furnishings of the Verderan Salon, described earlier on page 208, where it is said that they too prefer flowers as they are perishable. This first occasion leaves a strong impression on Swan. Nevertheless, we are told that the second visit, quote, was perhaps more important. It's on this occasion that, having pictured her in advance in his mind's eye, he is struck upon arrival by her resemblance to a figure in a painting. Jethro's daughter in Botticelli's painting in the Sistine Chapel. We are told that finding such connections with figures in art was a kind of sport of swans. In this instance, the artistic relationship, the resemblance, comes to define his relationship with Odette. Proust writes, quote, He looked at her. A fragment of the fresco appeared in her face and in her body, and from then on he would always try to find it in her again. That's on pages 226-7. to 7. 
the effortful nature of this attempt, this always trying, is significant. Swan comes to have a photograph on his desk of the painting and allows it to stand, quote, as if it were a photograph of Odette. There is a philosophically complex set of relationships at play here between the real, in inverted commas, and representation. Odette is a kind of copy of the figure in the painting, and a reproduction of the painting acts as a representation of Odette. It is a copy of the painting and of the woman who resembles it, meaning it acts as a sign but is also, in platonic terms, a movement away from the real. The photo also acts as a mediation between the painting, which he does not have before his eyes, and the woman who is before his eyes. It's in these relationships that, for Swan, his love exists. It is worth pointing out another set of relationships here, a metaphorical connection. Odette's rooms are full of flowers. Then, she is described herself as being in full bloom. That's on page 229. This reference to Odette as a flower in bloom should cause us to look ahead to the second volume of the search and the narrator's own later loves. It simply remains for me to say, thanks for joining me on this leg of our gentle literary walk. If you've enjoyed the journey, again please do consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving me a review, or even supporting me over on coffee.com. You can do that by visiting ko-fi.com slash Paths. Your support will be massively appreciated. Don't forget you can connect with the show over on social media. Just search for Proustian Paths on Twitter and Instagram. I hope you'll join me for the next leg of our journey along the way, when the paths through Proust's text will take us through the period of Swan and Odette's romance. We'll be covering pages 229 to 253 of the English translation published by Penguin. If you're following along in a different edition, this will take us up to the entrance of Forcheville. I look forward to you joining me on the next section of our walk along the Proustian paths. Mm-hmm.